Alright, alright. Good morning, everyone. How are you? How's your day going so far? I'm sorry about the Astros. My heart is still heartbroken from yesterday. But U of H won. Hey, how about that, huh? Yeah, we had a, the last-minute uh, kickoff return that actually put us over, so uh, we actually won. So that's actually celebratory for us, uh, if you don't know. We have a lot of U of H grad here, so you know who you are. Um, good morning again. My name is G. I serve as an executive pastor here at the City Life Church. If you're here, welcome. If you're watching us online, great to have you join us this morning. Uh, before I go on to the sermon itself, I would like to actually take some moment uh, to thank you uh, from last week uh, for our pastor appreciation uh, week. And uh, you honored us very much for, for, on behalf of Pastor Chris, Casey, myself, and Sierra. We want to thank you. Uh, for just blessing us, uh, also your, all your love notes that we received. It was such a special words that you have given us, and, and it, it's, we're really grateful for that. So thank you so much again. Um, but I would say, though, before I forget, um, I did this first service, but I'll do it again anyway because I just like honoring people. <laughs> uh, the, the very reason uh, that we get to pastor this church, because that's privilege and honor, um, calling, yeah, sure, one thing, but, you know, it is honor uh, and privilege to serve you. Uh, to do that, though, we have a group of men and women, that uh, is our team members, uh, that actually helps us uh, to do our job, uh, do, do pastor and this church faithfully. So if you are staff here this morning, uh, I know if you, some of you are here this morning, so why don't you stand up if you're staff. Interns, you can stand up too, yes. Join us this morning. There's some back there. Thank you, guys. For all that you do, really appreciate you. Uh, these amazing men and women of God truly love you, uh, what they do, but also to serve you guys and serve you guys well. So make sure you give them also encouragement as they pass by, as they're serving. Uh, your words do matter, okay? Let's go to text. We're going to read the scripture today. We're going to go to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. We're going to read from verse 24 to 30. And we're going to skip a little bit and go to 36 to 43. So if you're opening your Bible, your paper Bible, I hear you, some of you out there. But if you don't have a Bible this morning, it's okay. There's going to be uh, the words uh, on the screen that you can follow along. Let's hear what the word of the Lord says. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, Kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed a good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat when went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the sower came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up tares, you also root the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parables of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. 
The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. The purpose of the parable series is to connect the stories of the kingdom of God to our daily lives. You might be wondering this morning, how does a story that's been spoken 2,000 years ago applies to us today? That's a great question to ask. I believe that because the Bible was written even then, but we can also can speak to you and me today. There are so many things that we can share from the story, from the parable, that what God is using these stories to not only teach about the kingdom of God, but also the things that you and I go through here on earth. And I believe that the parable, even though it was written 2,000 years ago, still teaches us, and it still echoes the meaning, the true meaning that's behind the parable speaks echoes, and the words go straight to our soul. And it's important for us to study these parables together in order that we may further understand the kingdom of heaven, also the what in the heart of God, so that we may be able to live out the faith for all of us. We call ourselves a Christian as a believers to live out the faith that God has called us to live. The purpose or the parable, uh, the meaning, the why is this parable is necessary? Uh, is the meaning of the parable is the parable is a story from daily life used to illustrate a spiritual truth in confronts people with the radical demands about Jesus. It clarified the exclusive nature of call to follow him. And the last time when I spoke, uh, two weeks ago, we actually studied the parable of the sower. And today, as many of you know, uh, that we are actually going through the whole agriculture in the first century again. And it's funny because last time I asked, how many of you know farmers or any farmers in the house? The room was pretty quiet, just like here today. <laughs> no one farms here. We don't understand how the farming even works. But I will say or suggest to you today is that Jesus is speaking to a specific group of people in a specific period of time that experience a specific experience that they are experiencing. And so, for example, I would say, if Jesus was here today, I would say Jesus would use anything that we and I were able to relate. For example, Jesus would use, if, if he was here today, I think he would use it, Houston traffic. I believe that he would be able to say that what the kingdom of God is by just relating with the Houston traffic, because everybody knows Houston traffic, right? You know, so in a way, even though it was written to a specific group of people, 
at period, specific period of time, the message within the story remains the same. Even though Jesus is using these elements that they would understand very clearly, the first century, they all knew how the agriculture worked. And so now he's using this story to relate or to be able to utilize the message that he wants to get it across. But I say, in Matthew 11, 13, 11, it says, it has been given to you to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And I believe if you ask me personally, it's just personal thing, is if there is the greatest gift besides Jesus, we know, what is the greatest gift that God has given you and me? I believe that is, first of all, Holy Spirit, but it is the Holy Spirit allows, opens our mind and heart and soul to be able to comprehend the words of God. That is a great privilege. That is a gift that's been given to all of us in this room. If you profess your faith to, in Jesus Christ, this is yours. What do you do with that? That's personal responsibility, right? That's why we, when we are on the pulpit, we say it all the time. Study the Word. Pray. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Why? Why? Because this privilege has been given to you so that you may know. But for those who are outside, it has not been given. I don't care how many degrees they hold. They can have a doctor of a philosophy in religion. I would say they will still not understand the true meaning, the message that is within the scripture. So we hear St. Augustine in 400 BC, I mean not BC, AD, that says, unless you believe, you will not understand. And this is the intellectuals that studies even all those knowledge, all those way of critical thinking, without faith, you will never understand. So this is a privilege that has been given to you and me, so we have to take it seriously, what we do with this gift that's been given to us. Amen? Parable of the kingdom of God, to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven is given only to those who believe in Jesus. And so, now, let's go to the text, shall we? We have a lot to talk about today. And before I begin, though, uh, I said this in the first service. Today's text is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. And I hope you understand what that means. There is a judgment. There is a mentioning of hell. There are separating between wheat and tares, all these different things. It may seem a little hard to you, but we have to study these words and we have to take it hid that this war meant for you and me too. And we have to study it. We cannot escape it. We cannot skip it. These are the words of Christ that we must study together. Let's go, shall we? Verse 24, another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed a good seed in the field. Now, this is a little bit different than the first parable, the parable of the sower, which we studied two weeks ago. Uh, we know that this specific sower is spreading the sower in a certain way. We talked about that, right? So it is not 
wheat, which proves another just point to prove that I was actually right, is that it's, it's, in this text that we read today, the word is very clear that the sower is sowing the seed of wheat. Everybody agree? Now, in the previous text, that was not the case. It was one of those seeds that you're spreading all over. We know that this is how you plant the barley, right? So we know that this is a little bit different aspect of agriculture, the farming. So if we want to, we have to know at least a little bit about how the wheat was harvested in the time of Jesus. Because these are the things that they knew and they knew well, right? The multitude. And this specific case, we know that this is not just to the disciples that he's speaking, but he's speaking to the multitude at that time. But now, in the later on, the explanation we will see that he is explaining to the very close, the, the disciples, that he will, they will understand what this specific parable means. Character of the wheat is very important for us to know, and here is why. Because the barley does not take that much ground to grow. It doesn't even have to take a deep root. You spread all over the field, it will take a root itself, and then you'll start to grow, okay? The wheat, in the other hand, has a completely different characteristics, and here's why. You have to, if you wanna plant a wheat, you have to put one or two seed, you have to first of all dig a hole, okay? You have to actually dig the hole, and then you have to put the seed, and then you actually have to cover it. And so you have to do this individually Think about how much hard work this is. This is not just throwing it all over the place and hope one it will stick, but this is a specific plant or the seed that you're planting on the ground. A lot more work, okay? But in this story, we see that the man is sowing a good seed, and this will matter a lot to us. Why good seed? Why is there a mentioning of good seed? We'll talk a little bit about that later. In his field, this is not somebody else's field. This is his own field. This is something that he owns, and he decided to plant a good seed on the ground. But this is what happened. He went to sleep, and while he's sleeping, the enemy started to come and plant all these tears. And so what are the tears? According to the Jewish virtual library, this you know, the Hebrew word for tares is zunin, in singular, or zunim, the plural. The darnel, the weed which grows among the grain, particularly wheat. The grains resemble those of wheat so that it is very difficult to separate them by sifting. And as a result, they are sown together with the weed and grow with it in this field. Darnel flour, here we go, is poisonous and gives a bitter taste to bread in which it has been mixed. Let me show you this slide of the picture. Which one do you think, all your professional agriculture farmers here, which one do you think is the wheat? Ah, good call. Which one do you think it is the tares? You are wrong, actually, because the majority rules. If you decide to answer this question, I'm going to go with those who actually answer. One on the left is actually wheat. One on the right is actually tears. 
But can you tell the difference? It's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard to tell which is which because it has the same characteristics. And here in this story, we find that the person doesn't even know they actually have tears until the servant actually comes to the sore. Hey, what happened here? Why are all these tears? Didn't you plant the good seed? It is only when the grain, the, 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 the wheat and the tares start to grow as they sprout out and start to grow and start to bear fruit. That is the only time that you will be able to determine which one is wheat, which one is tares. Here's the thing. The story goes in verse 27. Servant actually asked the owner, did you not sow good seed in your field? Now, this is not to question the competence or ability of the sower. They know the sower actually sowed the good seed. So in a way, what is happening in this story, servants are actually surprised. And they are really asking, how can this be? How can there be tears when we know I was there with you, <laughs> that we, you sowed a good seed. How can there be tears? And we see what the sower says. And he is very clear who have committed this sinister act. An enemy has done this. And he is aware of who this enemy is, his existence, and he knows what he will even do and what is coming next. But what is the response of the servant? The servant says to him, now that he knows, they know that it is from the enemy, so in a way, a good servant or worker or a good employee will tell the employer, who did this? You want us to gather them up. And this is what I see. This is Jesus' interpretation. Immediate action. Search and destroy. Isn't that right? It is so easy for our ways if we decide to say, let's just bring the fire down now. Let's just take them out now. Let's don't wait. Why wait? It's easier for us to uproot this, gather them, and burn them in. What should they deserve? How about this? It is easy to cancel them. It's easy to judge them. That's exactly what is happening. You see, the story of the Bible is not so different of our time. It is easy for you to judge, bring judgment on people, but it takes really hard to offer grace. And that, my friend, is of the Lord. That is only possible when you understand the grace as a recipient of grace to be able to extend the grace that did not deserve. You know why? Because you and I did not deserve grace. I want you to know 
No one in this room earned your way to the kingdom of God. Not one. I don't care how holy you think you are. I don't care how much Bible study you go to. I don't care how many services that you attend. All that means nothing. You did not work for your faith. It was only by the death and resurrection of Jesus that we are here today and we received that grace. And if that's the case, what are we doing canceling people? What are we doing judging people? Are we the same people? They deserve judgment, but God was gracious with us, and here we are extending judgment to the world that don't know better? Huh, interesting. How interesting this is, how Christians behave with such judgmental ways. It is easy to judge, believe me. So what is the plan here? The gracious sower, say it this way. No, we're not going to do that. And here's why. While you gather the tares, you also uproot the wheat. The character of the wheat and the tear is that they take a deep root. And as the root is going deep under the ground, they start to intertwine. Have you ever plucked something? I'm sure somebody actually have. Then you see all this intertwine of the root. And you, so if you pull one, you pull the other. So in a way, you will also uproot the good. And that is not the intent. You want to save, which is a great farmer, which is, let's wait. The time will come when there is a fruit that we know which one's which, that we will be able to set them aside first, which is very important, and then you'll be able to collect the good wheat. And so Thor has a plan. Right? At the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, verse 30, first gather together tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Everybody's doing good? Mighty quiet. Here is what Jesus explained to his disciples in verse 36. Then Jesus sent the motor to the way. And went into the house, which you believe that this is a house in Capernaum. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. They did not say wheat and tares, we just say tares. And have you ever wondered, and I don't know about you, and this is just my big cookie thinking of just what I think about studying the scripture. Out of all the parables that were mentioned, why this one specifically? They didn't ask about the leaven, because there is other parables that they share, he shared. But those are not being asked, but this specific one is being asked, and I believe that there's a reason why. And I believe that he is sharing, they want to know about this specific parable is because their war in the time, the first century, or that we call the intertestamental period, that there was a high interest of end time or eschatological emphasis. They believed, the Jewish people believed that there is coming Messiah. There is a promised Messiah that's going to be coming to save and restore Israel. But they were looking, we know, that they were looking for a specific type of Messiah. 
the Messiah that is kingly figure, David figure, warrior-like figure, that's going to come to restore the glory of Israel, like back in the days, like how everything, rain, was ruling like that day. And they believe that that Messiah, the promised Messiah, is coming. But he's not here. And they still are confused if Jesus, who Jesus is at this point. They're not fully sure. It's until after death and resurrection and ascension they realize who full Jesus is. But at this point, they're still learning. They're still figuring things out. And so no coincidence, it's not a coincidence that they ask this specific parables for explanation. So, he answers, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Now, he's talking about himself, but obviously they probably didn't still get it. But we know that now we have a full context of the scripture. We understand the story that's been given to us. Now we can say the son of man, he is talking about himself, but still they do not get it. He who sowed the good seed, the son of man, the field is the world. Now, the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Now, here is a clear distinction between the first, the parable of the sower versus this parable of a wheat and tares. In the first parable, the parable of the sower is talking about the sower, the, the seed is the word. Everybody get it? The word goes in the good soil, it bears fruit, or it does not bear fruit. Get it? But this one is very clear. The weed, the sower, the seed is about the sons of the kingdom, sons and daughters of the kingdom, or sons and daughters of the wicked. It's very clear. Does everybody understand that distinction, Correct? And so he goes on that the world is the ground where we belong. Even today, you and I belong to this world. We are not of the world, for we belong to God as a believers, but we are still connected to this world, the ground, the world, and we are connected. And they are both sons of righteousness and sons of the wicked. And I'm pretty sure this morning that you can clearly say, I have sons of wicked at my work. Yes? You just don't want to say that. Like that. <laughs> but you can agree, probably. It's like, oh my gosh, that person. But then why are you there? That's the real question. It's not that sons of wicked exist. We know they exist. The real question is, why are you there then? That's the question that we, all of us need to answer. Why are we here? Why are you and I here on this earth right now as a believers? Have you ever thought about that? It's a good question to ask. But here is the thing. We know that this specific verse, I, the, the reason why we say this is the hard sayings of Jesus is because this, this, there is this impending judgment that you and I cannot escape. Also the world. The time is coming. And I'm not the end time preacher. That's what I'm trying to do here. I'm just going strictly the text. I'm, what I'm saying is there will be a time all of us will face the judgment seat of Christ. 
we will all be judged on the how way we lived, what we did, our works. The works does not save us, but it does define who we are. You cannot take works completely away as if that we do not need to live certain way. You're in a great mistake if that's the case. Your relationship with God should inspire and motivate and call you to live a life different than where you lived before or to the world. If your life is no different than the world, then I am sorry to say it, you may not understand the gospel. You may not understand what Jesus did on the cross for you. You may miss the complete the point. You might just raise up in the church. I was not raised in the church. It bothers me when I see the professed Christians live wherever they want to live without any consequences. You see, the problem with that, I mean, I can say a lot about it. I'm venting here. <laughs> For me, the greatest conflict in my soul when believers don't live out the faith they're supposed to live is that it mess up my Lord's testimony. Don't throw me under that bus. We are called to live a certain way. If you never heard that before, you have not heard the full gospel. Do you believe that this morning? The enemy who sold them is the devil. See, devil always come at night. He's a schemy little thing. I don't like to give him credit anything, but he does. He's good at what he does. He always comes at night. He always comes when we are not expecting, when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're worried. That's when he comes. Because why? He wants to get you out of the game. Even though you have all the power in the world that God has given you through the Holy Spirit, we live a life as if the power has never been given to us. You know this. This petty sin that you're dealing with, that little side chick that you've been working on, that's not of the Lord. Then why do you live this way? It's because of the enemy is using every opportunity in order that to get you out. Because if he gets you out, it's not just you. Oh, believe me. It's not about you at all. Here's why. Because when you go, your whole generation will go. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, that you'll never be able to influence because you have to live a life. The pleasure of this world rather than holiness, righteousness of God. We are in this world. God has put us here for a reason. If you are wheat that is planted among the tares, it's because that time is near and you have a job to do. And your job is to be the salt and the light in the dark place. They're looking, they're longing for it. They don't know what it is. See, all the comfort of this world, all 
the, the, the promises of this world only come to the certain point and it will disappoint you. How many things that you have tried to get peace? How many things that you have done to somehow understand why you exist on this earth? How many? What other things you have done? Believe me, whatever you decide to try, you will come to that certain point and you will be disappointed. But there is one that will never disappoint. And that one, it can be found in the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whom we serve today. Tears are gathered and burn in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Before I go on, let me just tell you this. Don't try to take yourself out from the world. Place yourself in the world and be the light that you need to be. That's your responsibility. The Son of Man will send out His angels and there will be gathering kingdom and all things that offend. What are the things that offend God? You don't have to look far. Just open your Bible and you will see a list of the things that displeases Him. Really, if it breaks God's heart, it should break yours. Let me end with this. There's three things that I want to say this morning. If impending judgment, because it's coming, is part of God's divine plan of salvation, what is the role of His children? I say necessity and urgency of evangelism. Now, if you say that, well, you know, if you're indifferent, you will say something like this. Well, I, at least I'm going to heaven. That's if you're indifferent. But if you have taken the model of Christ and choose the compassionate heart of Christ, you will say, I will share the love of God. And you're not only ending there, but you will share the impending judgment that's coming. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Second, seriousness of the Christian call. If impending judgment is part of God's plan of salvation, how should we live our life? If you're indifferent, you will say, well, at least I'm going to heaven. But if you consider this calling seriously, to be the call, calling to be a children of God in this wicked and perverse generation, to be the salt and light to the world. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as a light in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. William Law said, you are to think of yourself as only existing in this world to do God's will. To think that you are on your own, your own, is as absurd as to think you are self-created. It is an obvious first principle that you belong completely to God. And if you do, 
there is a set of ways that we must live. And finally, if impending judgment is part of God's divine plan of salvation, do you know Jesus? Are you 100% sure today that you will spend eternity with Him in heaven? John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whomsoever believes in Him should not perish but have an everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus, the Son of God, came to the world to make a way for you to be reconciled to God. Now, if you know that this message is true, what is preventing you to turn to a loving and righteous God who made a way? Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you have called us, you have predestined us from the foundation of this world that we may know you in the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning that this message will take a deep root in their heart, that they will go and be the salt and light as they are called to be. Also pray that, Lord God, they, that they will know their power that's been empowered to them. Holy Spirit, I ask you to empower our people. They live, that they may live faithfully under you and your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.